Welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast, a weekly show about all things engineering, DIY projects, manufacturing, industry news, and making money, literally. We're your hosts, electrical engineers, Parker Dillman. And Stephen Craig. This is episode 370. Our guest this week is Dennis Zabo. Dennis was born and raised in Colorado. His parents owned a machine shop where Dennis worked from a young age until 50. Dennis now runs the tooling department at the U.S. Mint Denver. So thank you so much for coming on, Dennis. We really appreciate you. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm excited to get to know you guys and talk some engineering stuff. So, yeah, uh, you work at the Mint uh, the tooling department in at the Mint actually making our U.S. currency. You know, it was funny. Right before we got on, I was like, you know what? I need to find some coins. Uh, so I just ru- rummaged through my drawers right around my desk, and I found a dime, a quarter, a nickel, and a penny. And it's funny because I can't tell you the last time I've actually used a coin to purchase coin. something. <laughs> but, of course, I just had them right around me. Right. Right. So, um, yeah. Are they Denver coins, by the way? Do you know how to tell the difference between? I do not. So down near the date, there's either a D or a P. Okay. Uh, Denver, Philadelphia um, could also be sometimes there can be a uh, San Francisco stamp on it. You know, let me look around. I'm not seeing it. Right I now. see that on my quarter. Yeah, it's on. Oh, I see. Yeah, I see a D on this uh, on this uh, dime. Yeah, here. so that's produced in Denver. So they are marked at uh, what mint they are produced at. And so uh, we there's two major mints in the United States, correct? So um, within the Treasury Department, we have actually six um, different uh, departments within the U.S. Treasury Mint system. And so that is true. There's two major. That's Philadelphia, who uh, produces circulating coinage. They also make a lot of metals at Philadelphia. They um, All the artwork comes from Philadelphia. That's where all our artists are and so forth. Um, and then there's the Denver Mint that also makes circulating coinage and some collectible sets and so forth. Besides that, there is West Point. And West Point does bullion gold and silver and so if you see any gold you know walking liberties or you know they have the buffalo head uh coins now i mean see the indian head and buffalo gold coins now and some others those are produced in west point and a uh, matter of fact i think west point's entire um year uh production is pretty much a day of philadelphia or denver's production about 20 million coins um, so actually, Denver can, and Philadelphia can produce closer to 30, 35 million coins if need be. Um, and that's on a daily basis that we can put that out. Then there's San Francisco, which uh, no longer does circulating coinage, but they do silver and collectible sets. And then within the system, we have Fort Knox, because not just do we make coinage for the American public, but we are also the keepers of the United States gold and silver. I'm well, I shouldn't say silver. I know for a fact gold. And so uh, within the mint system, the gold is spread out within the different buildings and so forth. And then lastly, we have headquarters. And so the six different facilities make up the mint system. So can you, this is probably a very wide open, broad question here, but can you just step us through the process of how 
a coin gets made. Uh, yeah. And so um, we buy coils of material. And you know that uh, the dime and the quarter are a clad material or it's sandwich material. There's um, some different materials put together. And that's for that we get a very unique coin weight rather than just if it was straight metal. And so with that, you know, you can't just put a slug in a pop machine and for it to read it. It would just not have the same weight and would not register within that. And so we purchased the coils already sandwich material that way. And those come in anywhere from three to 10,000 pound royal coils. Um, coils are anywhere from 11 and a half to maybe 13 and a half inches wide, depending on the denomination. And those go through a blanking press. And so the blanking press, literally, we have, and that's part of the uh, tooling that we care for within my own department, is um, we sharpen, um, we're going to be talking about two different dies here. So we have blanking dies that have, actually makes the round slug without the strip. And then we also have dies that put the image on. So I just kind of wanted to clarify that at the beginning. But so the blanking dies, um, they stroke about 18 blanks per stroke, and they'll stroke uh, 700 times a minute. And so the coil feeds through there. They chew up coils pretty quick, and uh, they make a lot of blanks. And so the blanks, uh, once they're made, um, the next thing that they have to do is uh, the metal – we can't blank it soft, and um, we've, it's been tried in the past, and if you blank it soft, they don't stay flat. They tend to cup. Are you talking about, so we the, blank it, you're talking about the hardening of the, of the metal? Correct. Okay. Yeah, so if it's too soft, they will cup on us. So we blank them at a slightly harder um, Rockwell, and then they go in and they are annealed. And so we anneal them to soften them up so that we so can put the image on it. So they are in neat, and that's all specified in the in the the raw material that you receive, right? Okay? Yes. So does it does it come pre hardened or yes. do you all harden the? No, the no, no. We coil. we purchase the coil, and that is by our supplier comes within our standards that we have uh, have set up with our supplier that comes in at the right hardness. We blank them, then we anneal them to soften them up, then they are washed and polished every coin. Um, through a large wash machine and so forth. And from there, what happens is the blanks get upset. And what the upset does is if you look at a coin, if you got one with you, especially like a, a nickel or a penny, you can see that little edge around both sides of it. Mm. And so that edge makes uh, is for several different things. One, if you try to stack a coin within the artwork, they wouldn't stack very well. So that makes a flat surface for it to um, stack on. Secondly, if you throw coinage down on the counter, which is regular life of a coin, if it always rubbed on the artwork, the artwork would start to wear away. So that upset edge is what keeps the artwork off the, off the surface that it's laying on to protect the art image. And that way, coins last much longer that way. But actually rubbing two quarters together, I never thought about that. That's totally, that's, that's yeah. just blew my mind. <laughs> yeah so yeah that's, so that's, i never thought about that and i'm like so that's what the upset's for okay okay yeah yeah and so they lay flat against one another as well as protecting the artwork and then so once they're upset at that point they go to a coining press and they are fed in one at a time 
into a coining press and the obverse and reverse with the heads and the tails we call them obverse and reverse they are put onto the coin in and as well if you look at uh you know like a quarter a dime has the reading on it and we'll talk about the reading but also the diameter of a nickel or a penny is all finished in one hit um we finished the obverse the reverse and the diameter all in one strike and coining presses can also uh, stroke 700 to 750 strokes a minute. So that's about 12 and a half coins a second that'll come through there. Oh, wow. Yeah. So one of the things that uh, coins have, like a quarter and a dime, it has the reading around the outside diameter. And do you, un- do you know what the reading came from on why that's on a coin? Actually, back when uh, coinage was silver or precious metals, gold or silver, um, it was a common practice with people that they would scrape a little off the diameter, you know, take a little bit for themselves oh, oh, before they oh, went to Oh, you're talking it. about the lower and ridges so, on the edge of the... The, the knurling. Knurling right. is what I would yeah, call yeah. it. Yeah, we call so it What was reading. that called? Yeah. We call reading? it reading. Okay. Reading. Yeah. So uh, the reeds around the edge are so you can tell if somebody was to scrape off some of that precious metal before they handed you that coin. And that was just came over from when we used precious metals. We still do it today within our um, coin design. So that's where that comes from. But, but that doesn't exist on a nickel or a penny. Yeah, and so it's for whatever reason, maybe when other denominations were made uh, long before I was around, certainly, and I don't know the history of it, um, it's just a uh, quarter and dime on our, most of our, and also the 50 cent piece. I don't believe the dollar, the dollar is not readed either. So the dollar isn't 50 cent is quarter is dime is nickel and penny aren't. So, hmm. um, and however the, um, designs came about, but that's what the reading was originally for. So you can tell if somebody had scraped the edge of your coin and taken some of its value away from it. So yeah, that's <laughs> Right. Yeah, and so yeah, we're we're making uh, you know anywhere between twenty and thirty-five million coins a day, and that's just Denver. Uh, that doesn't. I think Philadelphia does as many as well. And you think that boy, that's an awful lot of coins, but it takes us you know eight days of production, ten days of production before we can give every American citizen one coin. You know. And so if you think about your ashtray in your car filled with coins and then you have the jar on your dresser or in your closet, wherever, everybody's got a coin jar somewhere. And so that's, it takes a long time to fill all that up. Nonetheless, all the ones that are lost within you know, the pillows and cushions of your couch and can be destroyed and so forth. Uh, something that's very interesting about the U.S. Mint and all the coins that we produce is there's never been a recall program. We've never had coins returned and made new ones or whatever. Every coin the U.S. Mint has ever made is still out in circulation or in some collector's vault or wherever they may be. Unlike a paper money, which is made at the Federal Reserve, they, um, you know, about every five years, I heard at this point, they try to, if you collect a 2023 uh, paper dollar within five years, they're pretty much out of circulation. They get old really quick because, uh, they're taken out of circulation and new or put it back in. And that, that's not true of coinage. That is all out there from everyone that's ever been made. Now, there is an exception to that. There was a time um, during World War II 
where they made some gold coins. And the gold coins, uh, because of the war effort, uh, the president said these cannot be circulated and they were destroyed and uh, put the gold made back into just uh, bullion for whatever they used it for, for the war effort. It was at that time, I think six or eight coins got out and uh, they're very, very valuable. I know uh, a collector in Saudi Arabia, I think has one and there's a few others and it's been contested because none should have ever circulated. So somebody within the mint system um, removed those. And uh, yeah, so that there was some contention to that years ago, I think back in the 90s. But they uh, finally, I think the feds backed off and said they let those six, eight coins uh, remain out there. And so they're within collectors at that point. Yeah. So the, the creation of the, the tooling that goes, so you said two major tools, I'm sure plenty more, but, but you had the blanking yeah. tools and then what was the name of the other that imprints the uh, image? Yeah, so we call those dies as well. Okay. Yeah, so, yeah, so there, there is uh, within the Denver Mint, which is very interesting about the Denver Mint, is we have almost every trade within the building. I mean, we have electricians, we have electronic control uh, technicians, we have um, woodworkers, we have plumbers, we have pipe fitters, we have machinists, we have tool makers, we, you name just about any trade, uh, locksmiths, we have them all within the building because the security of getting people in and out is, is somewhat difficult, getting clearance for people on a regular basis when we do need to bring in contractors or whatever, it's it's time consuming and um, you know clearances wear out really quick. Um, when I first came to the mint, they allowed them to let live about three to four months, and sometimes now they expire in like ten days. And so it's a lot easier to have all those trades within house. So if we need something done, um, then we have that trade and we have the tools to do it. So I actually have the privilege of working at the mint and running what is called the plant engineering machine shop. And in the plant engineering machine shop, we uh, make about 215 different replacement parts for presses that wear. And, uh, you know, you can imagine when you're making 30 million coins a day, just that amount of metal rubbing on things just wears things out. And so we make those wear parts. We have a supply section within the mint that uh, makes sure that there's always some in stock. And so... They're my biggest customer. They order from me, and we make the parts that they're short on and keep supply filled so coining operation can go forward. Um, so that's one machine shop within the Denver Mint is that one within plant engineering that I work in. But then there's also another machine shop, and they call that the die shop. And pretty much all they do there is they make the dies, and those are the images that are uh, put the image with the, onto the coin. And so... Uh, depending on the artwork, depending on whether, you know, nickels do have nickel in it and they're very tough to um, stamp. Unlike, uh, you know, pennies and uh, annealed dimes and quarters are much easier to stamp. And so dies wear out quite regularly and we've got, I think, 56 presses within there. So you need an obverse and reverse for every press and, you know, after... Uh, it all depends on the artwork. I mean, some artwork, they go through a lot more dyes. Other artwork, they last longer. Uh, I do know if you have a somewhat recent nickel, 
you'll see that Thomas Jefferson's head is offset. And that is difficult to make that image on one side of the coin. And it's not centered like other um, heads and other figures that are with on the coin. And so that offset head is more difficult to get fill to make the metal move and get to where it needs to be. And so um, those go through a lot more dies on those nickels than, let's say, maybe a penny would or something like that. And that's a completely different division. And they call that the die division. And uh, they have another entire machine shop uh, in the plant there that just makes those. Yeah. And they take those very seriously. I mean, every die, when it's born, it's serialized and it's tracked its entire life. And um, it hasn't happened the eight years I've worked at the Mint. But uh, I've heard stories that dies go missing and they lock the plant down. Nobody goes home. No doors, nobody goes in and out until every die is accounted for. And so they take it very seriously, the security of the building, who has dies, where they're at. Um, they all have to be accounted for and uh, destroyed once they're no longer making a proper image. And then they're accounted for that they're no longer have any life in it. They're destroyed and then they can be recycled at that point. They don't want some random person making an additional 20 million coins on the side, right? Yeah, you know, that would uh, that would really cut into the government's business there. You know? yeah. <laughs> so you got to watch that. You know, I, yeah. I, I was thinking about the beginning of it, too. I imagine the material, because you're getting, like, the materials, like, automatically, like, you're getting it clad already. I imagine that yes. supply chain is also very secure in terms of, like, that manufacturer can only make that for you. Correct. Yes, absolutely. And I, and I actually think... They make it for Philadelphia and Denver, and I think it's pretty much, um, I don't know for a fact, but it could be their entire business, that uh, they have a contract to supply for us, and uh, I don't absolutely cannot supply it for anybody else. I, I have heard some stories that, um, like when we make coins, it, you know, you when you find a improperly struck coin within circulation, suddenly it becomes a collector item. You know, and, and then some of them could be worth a whole lot of money. And what makes it worth so much is that we make 30 million coins a day and you can hardly find a poorly struck uh, or an incorrectly struck coin. And so we have a quality system to make sure bad coins do not leave the Denver Mint. And uh, so every coin press operator, they within every 10, 15 minutes, they are we have a catch box that all the coins being made stay in that box until a coin is inspected, it's correct, and then that's released to go into the rest of the uh, coinage usage. So we can stop any bad coin getting out of the building. Um, it's unfortunate. Um, we certainly try to avoid it at all costs. They work very hard within coining and, and the plant security and everything that things aren't wasted. But I've literally seen $2 million worth of coins destroyed because they thought there could be a bad coin in there. We do not want a bad coin to leave the building. And it quality is is uh, is number one. We got, well, you know, we of course we wanna do safety within our team and stuff. But outside of that, within our production, we wanna make sure a bad coin doesn't leave the plan. That's why when a coin is found, you know, it shows up on eBay and it's all of a sudden it's worth 35 bucks, you know, because something went wrong, you know. Uh, it was struck incorrectly or possibly a die could have cracked. 
and an operator didn't catch it. And so um, it's a big deal. And they really do a good job watching it. And you can imagine 30 million of anything, you know, I mean, even 30 million grains of sand, it's hard to be consistent and keep that quality up. And so um, that's something that Denver Mint does very well and uh, proud to be a part of that. So how, how does that inspection work? Is that um I, I can't imagine that there's one person looking at 30 million coins a day. <laughs> no, there's a computer doing it. <laughs> yeah. You know what? And and we don't use that much computer image uh, ink to test and uh, watch our coins. It's more human interaction. We have a quality department that uh, checks the clad metal that's coming in, checks the density of it, checks the hardness, checks all the different things within that to make sure that part of the coinage is correct. Then we have operators running the coining presses and uh, they are literally inspecting coins under magnification, um, not at each coin, but lots of coins. You know, this lot, okay, looks like we're good. So they allow that lot to go into the general population of the coin production. But we try to isolate everything, you know, until it passes those inspection points before we allow it into the rest of the a coin population. Okay, so that, that makes way more sense now. That's interesting. I thought I saw something a little while ago where there was a 100% optical inspection, um, but I guess not. I guess it's just... We are not doing to... that. Um, yeah, I know for a fact. Uh, we do use some camera work and so forth for packaging our proof sets, you know, aligning coinage and stuff, which is really neat. Pick up coin, flip it over, turn it upside down, whatever it needs to, so all the coins are in the right side up in a package. We do use it for things like that, but um, pretty much all the inspecting of it is human interfaced and uh, yeah, so pretty amazing. Well, that, that, that means you put a lot of faith in your tooling. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, and, and the operators as well. Sure. So uh, I kind of explained the, the die shop. They just make the um, dies that put the image on. Within our shop, we... Um, some of the more critical things we do is we make all the tooling that holds the dies. And so, you know, those wear out every couple weeks on, you know, 50, 60 presses. So we do go through a certain amount of that. And I have a, a group of tool makers and machinists that uh, work in our department. We run uh, 24 hours a day, five days a week and do overtime as well. So as well as uh, we make the parts, we inspect the parts and supply them to supply. We also, there's a certain things that there's technical setups within the presses. Um, when parts are replaced, they have to be shimmed in and uh, have certain clearances and stuff. So our my guys have that technicality to get those things lined up for press operators and stuff like that. So we also help out with the presses in setting them up. But uh, outside of that, we really do no coin uh, production within my section there. We just work on the tooling and build that stuff. Yeah. Do you, uh, how do you guys handle preventative maintenance on, on tooling? Do you just, do you know the number of presses it's done and, and take it out of service, uh, before it breaks basically? You know, I, um, so once again, the plant engineering division that I work in, uh, the machine shop and the you know die sharpening of the blanking dies is just one portion of it. The other portion 
we have mechanics and electricians and everything. And, and we do have a lot of our equipment up on PMs, regular PMs, to make sure they're getting the uh, care they need and so forth. Some of the parts are, you know, the press quits running and they start changing parts on it. Um, uh, I think we could do slightly better job at that than we do. And I'm not judging anybody there. Everybody's working hard and doing it. But I think we can use some improvement on how we're deciding when to change parts. It, uh, there's a lot of people who work down in, in the coining division, and they have a job to do as well. Um, mine kind of gets concerned when you're using up so many of my parts. You know, it keeps us busy. <laughs> so I'm thinking, like, are you sure it's worn out or not? So I think we could work better at that, but by no means. I'm not judging anybody. Those guys do a great job down in coining. It's just not necessarily their focus, you know. So that's something that we watch out for. Um, within our shop... <coughs> Excuse me. We have um, we have uh, five CNC lathes, four CNC mills. Um, we have uh, lasers. We have uh, 3D printers. We have a lot of equipment. Uh, the federal government does very well to supply us with the tools we need to get the job done. And so, yeah, we got. Uh, I think it's right under twenty thousand square foot is the shop that I run. And we have a lot of equipment in there. Um, much of the critical tooling that holds the dies, I mean, we're talking tenth tolerances. Um, that's to the fourth decimal point mm -hmm. that uh, the tolerances that we're holding parts to. And so everything is, is uh, soft-turned, heat-treated, hard-turned, and then ground into uh, final dimensions. Do you do, you do that treating, the heat-treating on site or is that you receive it that way and then grind it in no we do uh the heat treating on site and matter of fact um in the dye division who makes the dyes to put the image on they have the heat treating equipment for their dyes and so uh, that's where i become their customer and they help me out and do the heat treating down there so you really do have it all under one roof we really do and uh, it's kind of an amazing place and uh um, maybe someday I can show you guys the inside of it, but uh, they do an amazing uh, job there with all the different divisions to uh, get that job done. And we really feel like we do it for the American people. You know, people talk about like, well, I heard we, we lose money on pennies. Why, when are we going to quit doing pennies? You know, none of that is the Mint's decision to do those things. All those, every piece of artwork, what image is going to be on a coin, what coins we are going to make and so forth, that all comes from Congress. Every one of every image that goes on a coin, you know, whether it was the 50 state program that we did, you all seen the quarters from all 50 states and stuff that ran from about two, um, 1999 to 2009. And so um, we're not going to make those quarters again. Those 50 state quarters are done. So if you're looking for one, the longer you wait, the more difficult it is going to be to finish that collection and so forth. Um, and then we went to America the Beautiful, where we were doing, uh, you know, national parks and so forth. And so I think that program just finished up in 2021. And so I heard some other new programs that are coming out. But it's interesting. Once we make those coins on those quarters, they, it's not like, well, let's start up the 50-state program again. That's gone. It's over. And so we're not going to make any more of those. And it makes it a little more collectible and so forth. 
kind of lost my the, chain uh, there. The dyes are gone. <laughs> the dyes are gone. I mean, we could produce them again, but that's not that's you know that's something we made one time and it's special and and I've heard that we are not going to revisit those things. But nonetheless, we were talking about all those things coming from Congress. Um, you know, we I believe there's good people within the mint system that says, hey, we you know we need a new project. We how about this? How about that? But once again, it's Congress that okay's those things. So uh, a question I get asked all the time: When are we going to quit making pennies? And I'm just like, it, it's up to those guys up in the Capitol. I'm not the Capitol, but uh, in Congress, and uh, and it's not up to the mint system to do that. And so we do lose money on making a penny. We lose money on making a nickel. And uh, with that, we still we believe it's a service to the United States people and those who use the American currency. We provide it for them to do commerce within the country. And so that's what it's for. It's, um, we're not a for-profit business, although we do make profit. We are one of the very few and maybe the only one right now that are a self-supporting federal entity. And so we support all ourselves and um, pay for everything it takes to make the coinage to, and so forth. And, and we put over a half a billion dollars back into the treasury at the end of the year last year from uh, the profit we did make. And where we make the profit, it costs us about nine cents to make a quarter. So the difference of that, you know, the rest of it is where we get our profit. It costs us about four cents to make a dime. And so we make up the loss we do on a penny. We make up the loss that we do on a nickel. And we end up on the positive end of that at the end of the year. So I don't think there's too many government entities, including the post office, that is uh, on a positive end of making money. So I, it might just be the U.S. Mint System or the Treasury. And the IRS. Everybody else is. Yeah, well, <laughs> actually, the Treasury... <laughs> The the IRS is part of the Treasury system. Oh, right, so, there, there, you go. there you go. Yeah, but uh, yeah, that's where that's where the big bucks come from. Yeah, yeah. So, so um, earlier you said that your shop alone is twenty thousand square feet. I think close. Yeah, you know, it might be nineteen or something like that. So how how big is the mint itself? I uh, you know um, I don't know that answer. Uh, it's a uh, it's a big building. It, it, it looks like, for if you see a picture of the Denver Mint, it looks like three stories from the outside, but it's actually um, more than that. There's about <laughs> five or six stories with inside of it. And so there's a, there's a lot of square footage, but it's literally the Denver Mint. And I've, I've spent some time at the Philadelphia Mint, which uh, a lot of our programs originate from Philadelphia and so forth. And I got to spend some time there working on a project and uh, I think you could fit about five Denver mints within the okay. Philadelphia mint. It's uh, very large. So we consider ourselves small and uh, as far as mints go around. But, uh, you know, they love that building. It was completed in 1906 when the first coins were stamped in Denver. And uh, uh, they like the history of the building. And so... Since the original uh, Denver Mint, it was built in 1906. Sometime in the 40s, there was an addition. And then sometime in the 80s, there was an addition. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that's where we sit right now with the Denver Mint. But I, I'm sorry, I don't know the square footage of the building. And honestly, like looking at the picture, 
It doesn't. I mean, because I've never seen it in person. It doesn't look that big. But then you said twenty thousand square feet for uh, just your shop alone, and then there's another shop that's coinage, and then all the presses. Oh, coining yeah. or coining. I'm, I'm sorry. And then and then all the presses plus then inbound inspection for all the material. <laughs> yeah, it. Uh, we are we are pretty. Um, we real estate is very much a premium, you know, and uh, matter of fact. I remember when I first got there and I was doing some rearranging of the shop and so forth. And, and they made me a deal. If I gave up some square footage, they'd give me, you know, you know, put these machines over here and stuff. So every it's, it's a, it's a premium. There's, there's only so much square foot there. They, uh, like I said, it's, they love the building. It's not going anywhere. They're not moving us out of it. Um, we have to do it. That's something that's very interesting too. Is the spaghetti diagram of you know the workflow is not super. Um, yeah, it's it's a mess, quite frankly. But it's because <laughs> it's an old building and and things have changed. You know, uh, coining's done on this floor, but dies are sharpened on that floor, and we don't have room to keep them there, so we store them on that floor. And so when coining needs them, we got to bring them down to their floor and. And so there's a lot of moving around that makes it inefficient, but uh, once again, it's uh, it's a neat place to work and just a historic building and so forth is uh, very interesting. It, it is also interesting because if you visit the Capitol here in Denver and you're just walking around, you can easily miss it uh, just because it's not it's not like in your face. And I, there's, I'm sure there's plenty of reasons why that building would not be in your face, but you could just walk by and be like, oh, well, that's where they do it right there. Yeah, I, I think uh, I was even amazed when I first got hired and went into the building, how industrial it is inside there. You know, everything around us is office buildings and, and you know, that kind of soft office type work and stuff. And it is a full industry there. I mean, we've got 25 forklifts running back and forth inside, picking up buckets and moving scrap and it's, you know, it's a busy, busy place and very industrial of making metal product. And even when I first went in there, I, I didn't expect it to be that industrial. And it very much is so. Yeah. Yeah. The outside of the building doesn't give that appearance for sure. Right. Yeah. It, uh, it looks much more uh, timid than what actually happens with inside there, <laughs> I would say. Yeah. So a quick question actually about... Um, at new coins so how how first of all how are new coins uh, or new design should i say uh delivered to you and then how are they approved so um dies i mean new images and new designs once again that comes from congress they decide like right now we're working on the women's quarter program i think it's about six different quarters highlighting different uh, women within society and so forth. And those are the, the program we are working on right now. So those designs come from Congress and are approved. Then it's within Philadelphia that uh, the artists actually make the design. Okay. So they, it, it was approved that we're going to do the women's program. The artist makes the, you know, maybe initial drawing that is approved by Congress. And then they actually make the design and from there, um, we get a copy of it. Uh, not being too technical on how that happens, but we get a copy of it. 
and then we make that the master that we make our other dice from. So, so I'm sure you have to make some quantity uh, for an initial acceptance, right? Uh, do you have a special line for that, or do you just tool up one of the main lines and make a handful and then get that approved? So there's there's different things. There's a numismatic division within uh, the Denver Mint, and the numismatics is the collectible coins that come into proof packs and that type of thing. Uh, we have different types of presses there that have the opportunity to press with a lot more tonnage, um, can multiple strike coins to get the type of finishes that we need on it and stuff. You might be um, familiar with, we did the baseball coin years ago. It was a very popular program. I think it came out 2006, 2008. And I mean, those got sold up right away. And uh, so that was actually a curved coin. One side looked like a ball. And then the inside pocket, the convex side, looked like a catcher's mitt, you know. And so uh, they're talking about maybe doing some more of those. And we do that within numismatics. And those, we call them test strikes. So when the die's built, uh, there's there's been times we've had to make custom tooling to hold the custom dies to make those type of things because all the sizes are different and so forth. And so our shop has been able to participate in that, making that special tooling to hold those. And uh, so there are tests and they, um, there's been times where we've had to change how hard they're hit, how often they're hit, had to, there's different complications that uh, certainly work through. Um, as far as circulating coinage, they're very strict. I mean, once January 1 comes around, you cannot hit a 2022 coin anymore. Or you cannot hit a 2023 prior to January 1. I mean, they if you if there's a date on that coin, it is produced in that year. And so there is a time at the end of the year. And I'm not completely um, clear on the process because I don't work with it. I'm just familiar with it because it happens within the building. But they sanitize all the presses and they sanitize the old dyes, make sure that they are taken out of, uh, that can't be ex-, ex accidentally uh, confused with a 2023 die or something. And then once everything is sanitized and we're sure they're gone, then they introduce the new year and uh, that happens every year. So, Oh yeah. So, so but, at, uh, there's a big changeover right at the end of the year. So you have to, yes, you have to prep up yeah. for that. Yes. Uh, you know, especially uh, the die division who produces all those dies are still producing dies to produce the 2022 which just happened at the end of last year, but they're also prepping to making the next year's dies and make sure that the moment that changeover happens, that there's enough of everything. And so, and then not to overproduce. It's, it's a big deal within the mint system. It, we talk about it regularly, you know, scrap rates, how much that we're, you know, making and not using. It's a big deal. So we try to do our best to be good stewards of the American people's money with that. Yeah, I imagine once uh, all that changeover is, that's like the also try to catch up on maintenance and, and building parts and that kind of stuff from your division. Yes. And so, you know, my division, we're producing parts year round. But, uh, you know, when the dot, when the presses aren't running and stuff, it gives our mechanics, electricians and so forth to do PMs on machines and that type of thing. So it's it's. It's never a downtime. We're always working. Matter of fact, when coining's down, mm -hmm. we get busier. And so uh, that is something that happens. There's also a time in the year where 
they do um, inventory of everything and account for all the coilage, all the coinage and, and where everything is. And so there's an inventory done. And for a lack of a better reason, I, we shut the plant for a couple of weeks to stop everything and count it, see where we're at and, and make sure the books are good. And so when they shut down many coin division, people are vacationing and stuff. But uh, our division, we're, it's nobody's allowed to vacation. That's what everybody's <laughs> all decked on hand. So yeah, we got to be there. Your, your CNCs and lathes must be running constantly. So, you know, within my shop, uh, they don't run constant. I, I, I have uh, 12 great guys who work for me. I just, I think the world of all of them, they are so um, talented and skillful within, you know, metalworking and the tool making and stuff that they do. I, I'm really proud of all of them. They give our shop a fantastic name. But uh, I have 12 of them, and we basically have four per shift. So four day, four swing, four night shift guys that are always on uh, staff to make sure we can support coining. We call the blanking of the strip uh, our amp division. We also watch our dies and help them when they have uh, errors or uh, die faults and so forth. We go down and help them work with that. But uh, yeah, whenever they're not doing that, they are producing parts. So within that much of a space, sometimes you know, all my night shift guys do all this type of work. So, you know, during the day shift, there's no one over in that area in the shop. But uh, it switches around when night shift comes in, that area of the shop lights up and, and they're working on those parts of the project. So um, they're not running all the time, but the amount of equipment our, we have is good because sometimes, you know, if we get behind on something and it does happen, then we throw it on multiple machines, make sure multiple shifts to make sure things get done and if uh, we pretty much run out of anything, we could stop the coining process. So um, it's it hasn't happened to the point where we as a division or our, sorry, me as, as our shop have missed something. Um, there has been some accounting errors where they thought they had them and they didn't. And so that put the red light on us to get going because uh, the last thing we want to do is stop the coining process. It's... Uh, it's amazing that between Philadelphia and us, we put out 60 million coins a day and it's not enough. You know, the American public will consume even more of it just through attrition of loss and then also the population growth. And, you know, that uh, pretty soon, you know, when you guys have kids, if you don't yet, when you do, they will have a coin jar and they will have their ashtray in their car full and it just grows on and on. And so... Uh, need lots of coins to feed the American people. So you you said uh, you know thirty million coins. Like like just I'm just I'm, like how many trucks one bringing in material and then tr trucking material coinage back out is just that's just boggles my brain of just that many units. So we don't we really don't have uh, storage for coils. Um, we have a little bit of coin storage that when we're making it. But it's, uh, we have an entire division that just schedules trucks in and out. And I'm telling you, our dock is busy all day long, in and out. Trucks come in, and every truck is checked by security. Um, the Denver Mint has its own police force. It originated, if I believe I'm correct, it originated that they were the first secret service. And not just did they you know, help 
their first job was to have the protection of the heritage, not the heritage, but of the uh, the money of the United States. And then that went on to be protect the president. And then it was separated at that point. And then the Mint became their own police department. And so they check every truck coming in, every truck coming out, every person coming in, every person going out. I mean, even with I'm already cleared to go into the plant and so forth, if I need to go to the dock and step off the dock, they wand every person and check what there's on them and why they're going down off the dock. So it's uh, the complexity of even coming into the mint or leaving the mint. It's everything moves slightly slower and yet we still do 30 million coins a day. It's, it's kind of fascinating. You, and, and also, you know, we mentioned it earlier. This is also happening in a downtown location. All of that, yes. trucking, all of that transportation. Yeah. yeah. Yes. I, I did, the trucks come and go every 15, 20 minutes all day long, starting at 5 a.m. And I think they shut the dock down about four o'clock in the afternoon. But uh, uh, all day long, those trucks are coming and going and scheduled what coinage, you know, what coils we need, depending on what coins we're making. And we just have no storage for the coins we make. Those go out in 2,000 pound large bags. We do not do any of the rolling of coins or anything. We only sell coins to one person. It's the Federal Reserve Bank. And we only sell it to them in bulk in 2,000 pound bags. And so once they purchase that from us, they send it to other vendors that roll it, box it, and send but it to the bank. You said 2,000 pound bags? <laughs> Correct. I I just imagine like like the old cartoons with the money symbols on the side of it, right? Yeah, you know, <laughs> you know, they're white bags and they're heavy duty nylon. Um, they are not reused. They uh, very heavy. The bag itself also, uh, we have custom pallets that the bags okay. go on to, and the pallets are reused, but bags are not. So the 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 pallet holds on to the bag so it support the weight and so forth. I think a, a you know a bag of quarters is like fifty thousand dollars or something that is in it, and like I said, we we don't have that much storage. So once coins are made, they pretty much need to leave the building. We don't we if we're not shipping coins out, I mean we got to stop. There's nowhere to put them. Um, real estate is at a premium in the plant, and there's nowhere to store up coins. So it comes in and moves right back out. Did did COVID? make things difficult so what happened with COVID, and, and i'm sure you've heard or a lot of your listeners have heard that you know there was a coining shortage uh, during covid and stuff you know and it was not we never quit making coins during covid the problem was there was a scare and people were afraid to handle coins and so rather than handle it twice they only handled it once and then stored it and so it was a circulation issue that uh, coins were not circulating. They were not circulating out of restaurants and bars or or they were not circulating out of banks and stores. They were all sitting there. And so well, there was plenty of coinage. It just nobody was moving it. And uh, we never stopped making coins. Even through the entire COVID time, we continued to make coins at the same rate we are So today. yeah, So basically people just stopped using it or it just went right into their coin jar. Gotcha. Okay. Correct. Yeah, or, you know, it was in, you know, the coin drawers at uh, stores that nobody wanted to use. Everybody was using 
plastic and so forth. So everything just stopped moving. And that's what actually happened. There was not a shortage. It was just nobody was circulating it. And then so all of a sudden, people who didn't have a supply of them were like, hey, where's my coins? I need them. And so I, I even remember the grocery store where we grocery shop, you know, they asked for coins and they said, we're not giving coins back to people and stuff. And it, it's not because there was a shortage. It's just, once again, it just wasn't circulating. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I would think that orchestrating all the timeliness that is necessary to execute what you guys do would just be that much more difficult during COVID. Uh, and it was. And, and so everybody was wondering what COVID was. Nobody knew what the severity of it was and stuff. We know much more today. But what we did right now, we have overlapping uh, shifts. So one shift hands off to another and we pass down notes. We pass down what's going on, like within my department, but within coining, you know, it gives people time to clean up, but coin presses keep running when new people come in. So what we did during COVID is we had no overlap. So one shift was leaving before the other came in. And then that way, without the overlap, we were trying to do the social distance thing and, and so forth. And so it made it a little more challenging, but I think we hit all the numbers we always have and, and everybody just worked a little harder through that. But, I, you know, I'm once again, your listeners and stuff, I mean, uh, depending on where you work, what you do, prior to me coming to the Mint, um, I, I worked at a family machine shop. Um, my dad started. He came from uh, Hungary in 1956 during the Hungarian Revolution where um, he uh, resisted the Russian troops that uh, came into Hungary. And when the resistance didn't work out, he was seriously concerned whether he would be jailed or shot. And so in a moment, sitting at dinner, um, married to my mom for like two, three months, well, five months they've been married, uh, they decided that we're leaving Hungary. And the next morning they left with what was on their back and came to the United States who then Vice President Richard Nixon helped the Hungarian refugees come to the United States. And uh, my dad, he was uh, raised in, you know, kind of a technical area of Hungary and went to a technical college. And so metalworking was what he was trained on and so forth. So uh, once he was established here, he had some other jobs and so forth. But once he was established, it was his dream to start a machine shop. And he did and uh, made a lot of things for high tech businesses around the Denver area and so forth. Later, as my dad aged, my two brothers and I purchased the shop from him. And we purchased it. Uh, that was his retirement by us purchasing it from him. So that became his retirement. And we ran the shop and ran the shop for about 20 years after my dad did. Um, but I'm the youngest of my two other brothers. And they were about ready for retirement. And so they wanted to retire. And quite frankly, business was not good enough for me to take it and buy out two-thirds of the company. And so at that point, we decided to uh, sell it and uh, so they can have their retirement money out of it and so forth as well. I just didn't. Uh, there was times through the metal manufacturing and machining within the Denver region. There was a time it's just very, very competitive. Um, I can remember prices did not go up from 2000 to 2015. They went down. And uh, we were doing things, even though our cost of electricity, our cost of materials, our cost of labor, everything that went into what we were making 
went up yet we were doing it for cheaper otherwise we were not getting the work and it's it just uh unfortunately there's machining is something you know there's a lot of people who are good at it a lot of people in europe a lot of people in taiwan and korea that are are very good they can make parts there and ship it to us for cheaper than we can do it here with american wages and and regulation and that type of thing so when it got to the point where there are I would buy it and continue to run the shop. It was just, I did not see that profit margin there to buy my two brothers out and keep the business going. So I said, okay, you know, let's sell it. You guys can retire. And I still had a few years in me. So that's how I ended up at the mint and uh, doing the same thing there, running a shop, pretty much same kind of parts and stuff. When we had our own shop, we were making replacement aircraft parts for the military was our biggest customer at the end of our uh, end of our run, but <laughs> prior to that, we did a lot of computer parts, medical parts, uh, a lot of high tech industry. That's just uh, around here, and that's where I got my metalworking experience as well. So when I ended up and landed at the Mint and became the supervisor of the tool making division, it was like almost exactly what I did. I'm just doing it for the American people now. Yeah, second nature. Yeah, it it. Uh, it's what I've done. I think I started working for my dad when I was six. And, and I know that sounds ridiculous, but my mom and dad didn't know what the heck to do with me. So I went to work with them. And I mean, <laughs> by the time I was eight, I was running lades and mills and, and you know, yeah, I, was, I was working. And, and dad was always, you know, had the entrepreneur spirit. And he's like, you want a bike? I'm like, yeah. He goes, come to work. You know, you want a motorcycle? <laughs> I'm he, goes, he goes, come to work, you know. And so that was always, always work for dad prior to, going to work for uh, myself and then for the United States men. Well, that's very cool. Uh, do you have anything else you want to cover, Parker? No. Um, just This is a super fascinating, something I've never even thought about. Um, I think I saw like a how it's made a long, long, long time ago about like pressing coins, but they don't talk about like all the other stuff that makes all that even possible yeah there's there's a lot of you know backstory to getting that coin to the press i mean ultimately uh and i tell my guys that sometimes you know when we're doing meetings and so forth i go we're all here to make coins even though we never make any of them but we're here to make coins we got to make sure they have the parts they have the tooling that they have the uh, blanking dies sharpened that uh, we they have what they need that nothing we do hold them up to you know, to their task. What you said were like, you have all the trades in house. Like you don't have contractors. You just have someone in the building that can go do whatever it is. <laughs> you, you have Bob. right? And 90 there. <laughs> and 90% of it, we do do inside, but uh, there are things that don't necessarily exceed our technical, technical skill sets but we just don't have the manpower. So we do at times bring in contractors and we do, uh, we have electricians that work at the plant full time, all three shifts and stuff, but we still can't keep up. So sometimes we have an electrical contractor come in or uh, possibly a plumbing or pipe fitting project that is just exceeds what we can get done with our manpower. But just about everything we try to do ourselves. Well, very cool. It's a neat place. 
Well, we really you thank you for uh, for coming on. Uh, appreciate uh, uh, you're welcome. <laughs> appreciate you doing that. This is uh, that what. So I know Dennis through my church, and and the first time um, he mentioned that he worked in the tooling department, I was like, okay, I got to talk to this guy. <laughs> it sounds really cool. Uh, well, I, I hope you I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, it's uh, like I was starting to say, it's an honor to work for the Mint. Um, there's only like 375 people in Denver, maybe uh, about that many, maybe a few more in Philadelphia, West Point and San Francisco, even much smaller. So literally there's maybe a thousand of us that do all of this. And it's really an honor to make the coinage for the American people. There's not many people who do it. And uh, it's a cool place to work. It really is. Well, I'm hoping that uh, next time I'm in Denver, I can go take a tour. Well, I tell you what, um, uh, the invitation is open. Um, I can and I have in the past brought in friends and family to show them inside tour. It's just uh, this whole COVID thing is still a little bit of a question. Um, although we are bringing some contractors in again because there was a time we didn't even bring in contractors. Uh, I haven't seen nor have I asked if they would be open to having friends and family come in again. But I think we should be close to that if we're not already there. So, well, Parker and I are just wearing shirts that say "contractor" across the front, and we'll be we'll be good to go. That works. <laughs> Was it the uh, a helmet and a high vis vest gets you anywhere? Yeah, that's, maybe not. In, that's right. Maybe not in the mint, though. You know something? It's we we go through the we go through tighter than air, airport security to get in the building, and it's even tighter to get back out. And sure. so um, you can't get a paperclip out of there. It's literally, they're pretty serious about it. I was at West Point where they do the gold and so forth. I was spent a week up in West Point for a different project I worked on. And uh, they literally have machines, and we don't have this in Denver. They measure the metal in your body. I mean, your cavities, everything. And so you got to pass through this machine like three times to get the same metal amount and then you go in and do your work. And when you come out, that metal's got to match. You can't have more or less. You've got to have that much metal to get in or out of the building. And so, yeah, they take it very the security very seriously. Yeah, don't don't yeah. need a bowl of Wheaties while you're there, right? You might have a little bit more iron in you. <laughs> yeah, who knows? You know, that could get you in trouble there for sure. Well, cool. Thanks, uh, Dennis, for coming on this podcast and talking about your uh, occupation because this is just fascinating uh, the honor was mine, really. I do appreciate you guys inviting me. And uh, I wasn't aware of your podcast and still Steven brought it up. So maybe I'll become a listener here. So I'm going to go check it out. Fantastic. Okay, so yeah. that was the Macafab Engineering Podcast. We were your host, Stephen Craig. And Parker Dolman. Take it easy. Later, everyone. Thank you, yes, you are a listener for downloading our podcast. If you have a cool idea, project, or topic, let Steven and I know. Tweet us at Macrofab, at Longhorn Engineer, or at Analog ENG, or email us at podcast at macrofab.com. Also, check out our Slack channel. You can find it at macrofab.com slash Slack.